This week, we're talking about the new SBA 7A loan rules that were just released that introduce all kinds of new changes. And I'm going to talk about the changes. I'm going to give some examples of what these things mean. And I'm going to answer, ask the big question and give you an answer is, do I think these things are good or bad? I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Dealmaking, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. So there's been all kinds of, of chatter going on on Twitter, uh, some of the Twitter communities that I'm a part of and in some other places online, like on searchfunder.com, where people have been talking about the potential uh, content of these rule changes. Back earlier this year, when I had Lisa Forrest on from Live Oak Bank, she discussed some of the potential changes that were being considered by the SBA at the time. And now we actually have some news that's been released Although when I went to the SBA website, I was not able to really find um, any kind of comprehensive press release document of any kind that outlined what changes were being made. And so I had to rely on people that have probably been a part of this conversation and process throughout the change. And um, so I'm going to share my screen because I have uh, I found this conversation here on searchfunder.com. And so this gentleman, George Jensen, put up an article where he bullet pointed, you know, sort of summarized the major changes to the SBA 7A loan program. And again, this is for buying a business in the United States that we're talking about here. Uh, those largely are the people who have access to SBA loans. So what, uh, what Mr. Jensen puts here is he's got it summarized into a few bullet points. Number one, partial sales of businesses can now be done. Previously, the SBA required 100% buyouts. The seller will not need to guarantee the loan if their post-sale ownership is less than 20%. Okay. Um, number two, sellers will now be able to stay involved with the business indefinitely as an owner, officer, director, stockholder, or employee of the business. Previously, a seller could only stay involved for a maximum of 12 months. Number three, new terms for seller notes. Um to be considered an equity injection. So this qualifies as part of the required down payment. So less cash down from the buyer. A, only 24 months required on a seller standby note, no principal or interest payments allowed for 24 months, but principal and interest payments can start in month 25. Previously, the standby period had been for the full period of the SBA loan. I'm gonna get into each of these in more detail as we go through, but I wanna read through all of this to begin with. Number four, changes to affiliation rules for buyers. Previously, if a buyer owned 20% or more of another business, the lender was required to get tax returns and financials for that business as part of the loan underwriting. This has been changed so that this is only required if a buyer owns 50% or more of another business. And it says these changes won't go into effect until August 1st, and there could be additional changes made prior to that date. And then Mr. Jensen goes on to say, that said, 7A loans are now an even better option for the purchase of small businesses with low down payments, 10-year term, no prepayment penalty, wide range of uses, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, this gentleman is in the business of making these loans. 
And because he was good enough to put up this post for me to use, I, I left his contact information there that you can see at the bottom of the screen. Anyway, so let's talk about this because I want to go into each one of these bullet points one by one. So partial buyouts. Now, there's two ways to do a partial buyout of, of a business. You can either do it as an asset or a share sale, okay? And so right now, I'm going to be talking about if you were to partially buy out a company's stock. So imagine, uh, and, and we'll put a link down below to my video. Uh, it's gotten tons of views on the difference between an asset and a share sale, which you should check out if you're not quite familiar with this. But um, let me just you know use this illustration here on the screen. So we've got um, you know an example of a business. That's the the column on the left. So the blue box there is is the portion of the of the stock of the company that the seller is going to keep twenty percent, and then below that is the buyer's acquisition or eighty percent. Now to buy the eighty percent of the stock, the buyer would have to make some kind of offer to the seller that would be agreed upon, and just as a normal business acquisition, there would be some component of the buyer's money. There could be a seller note in there and there could be an SBA loan in there, right? And so in this format, um, the business is operating, whether the seller sticks around or not, the business is going to operate and the business is going to have a cash flow. And when distributions are made from the business, that 20% of those distributions are going to go to the seller because they own 20% of the stock. 80% will go to the buyer because they own 80% of the stock. And the buyer's um, leverage is going to have to be covered out of that payment, right? Out of the money that's available to the buyer. So, so what does this mean then? Well, it means that all things being equal, you'd be paying 80% of the price that you might have paid for 100% of the business. So pretty straightforward, right? You're, you're basically buying 80% of the business. You're going to get 80% of the cash flow. So the amount of money that you're going to pay for that smaller stake is going to be proportionally smaller, right? So, you know, I don't really see any problem with this, right? You're, you're just making a partial investment from the seller's point of view. Uh, maybe they believe in you strongly as a buyer and they think that the business is going to continue to grow and that they're going to get another opportunity to sell the balance of the stock to you at some point in the future. Um, there could be any number of reasons why people want to do a deal like this. I don't particularly have a problem with this. So let's uh, let's move on then to the next part. Um, and uh, oh yeah, under this scenario, your 80% of the business would be leveraged while the sellers potentially would not be. And so your distributions would go to debt service while theirs would go right into their pocket, right? Because again, you're borrowing money to buy 80% of the stock in a company and so the seller, though, they, they probably aren't going to borrow. Um, you know, the state of the business at the time of sale obviously is going to dictate, you know, what's going to happen. Um, if there are debts in the business already and the, the new financing is going to come into play to replace some of those debts, then potentially this may not be the case. So, again, we're operating with early information here. Under this kind of scenario, I wouldn't tremendously have a problem with this. All right, let's move on to the next one. Number two, the seller stays involved. So now you don't have to kick out the seller within 12 months. They can be a director, owner, consultant, or employee. This sounds great, but is it? Well, obviously, this is going to vary depending on a deal-by-deal -deal basis, and it's going to depend on who exactly this seller is and how sophisticated they are as far as the role that they play in being a, you know, 
as being the former owner still employed in the business. So I've had scenarios before where sellers have sold the business and they've retreated to a very specific role. Um, and they were willing to sort of like let the buyer come in and sort of take that, that operating position of leadership within the business. Um, a lot of the times though, people have a problem with this. So there was, um, a lot of the time. So there was this interesting tweet on Twitter where, um, SMB acquisition attorney says, you know, um, wow, these changes are great. Basically, you know, you can buy out, uh, 81%, you know, seller, uh, the seller keeps 19% with no personal guarantee on the loan, potentially zero money down, you know, option to call the seller equity after 12 months. I'm not sure where he got that exactly. Again, a lot of these details are kind of circulating. Um, I've had trouble confirming a lot of this stuff on the SBA's own website, but you'll see this reply here from Jordan Evans, who says, proceed with caution. 90 plus percent of SMB acquirers should not consider this structure. Most sellers won't add value economically or culturally post-sale, confusing to employees on who the new leadership is. And in some cases, seller will be a detractor to forward progress or change. It's a really hard transition. It takes the right, humble, hungry seller. And I would agree fully. Um, you know, the, the seller has to realize that they are no longer in charge. And the problem with employees is that if they go to the new owner um, and then they ask something and then they're told something different by the former owner, or if they go to the former owner who continues to give direction, then the, the new owner is never able to really take that leadership role. And it can be very um, disheartening. It can be very uh, hard on the culture of the business, and it can lead to conflict between the buyer and seller, right? Um, it can lead to conflicts internally amongst the employees about who do I listen to, you know, what is the direction, et cetera. So you really need a seller who understands their place in this kind of arrangement. Um, and a lot of the times, small business owners, you know, they don't have the kind of big company experience that a lot of buyers have. And in a large corporation, you've got people that move around between different roles and they, and they know that when they're in a new role, that what they're supposed to do every day kind of changes. In the world of small business, you're often dealing with huh, micromanaging perfectionists, right? Who ended up in their own business because they didn't like to, you know, be subject to other people's rules or whims within a corporate environment. And so they built this business according to the way they wanted things to be. And now they have to take that back seat to the new person. And if they still own part of the business, that may in their minds give them justification for interfering or putting themselves into the flow of leadership. Um, and it can just cause a lot of breakdowns in this, in, in this whole scenario. So, so I would caution people as well. Um, additionally, if, if you're on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at uh, dbarnettmoncton. If you just look up David Barnett Small Business, you'll find me. So number three, point number three from the article. <clears throat> Seller standby considered equity. So I put up here on the screen, um, you know, a traditional sort of offer package that you might see um, with no standby. So what does that mean? No standby. It means that there's seller financing, but the day the deal closes, you're going to start making payments on the seller note as though it were any other kind of loan. So in this situation, with a 10% buyer cash, 10% seller note, 80% SBA loan the total amount of debt in this deal is 90%. 
it doesn't matter who you owe the money to. It's still debt that has to be paid. So the debt to equity ratio in this deal would be nine to one, $9 of debt for every $1 of equity. The lender in this scenario is going to want to make sure that the debt service coverage ratio is going to cover all of the debt because it doesn't matter who you owe the money to, the cash that's available to the buyer is going to have to service all the debt. Okay. Now, under the old rules for standby, um, and then I, I put a note down there, um, when we have uh, standby, what, what does that mean? It means that the seller note gets no payments for a period of time. As such, it acts more like equity than debt. This is a way to reduce the buyer down payment as the seller's note acts like equity left behind in the deal. So under the old rules, let me advance here. So in this scenario, we've got the 10% buyer cash, the 10% seller note, and the 80% SBA loan. But because there's no payments going to that seller note, for the life of the SBA loan. So if that's a 10-year loan, that means the seller gets no payments for 10 years. The SBA would have considered that equity left behind because there's no cash drain on the business, right? So they're not going to consider it in the debt to equity calculation. So in this example, they would have considered it an eight to one debt to equity ratio, which, which gives the deal a stronger opening balance sheet, right? And so um, this tool has always been a great tool for allowing a buyer to get in with less money. What it requires though, is a seller willing to wait 10 years potentially to get their money, right? And so who's going to do that? It's going to be a seller who really believes in the buyer. They really believe in the business. They really believe in the future prospects of the industry, et cetera, right? Um, and so it, and it also creates this ongoing um, motivation on the part of the seller to be helpful to the buyer throughout the period of that loan. Now, that at the end of that SBA loan period, then the seller note can start to be paid, but you'll, you'll probably realize immediately the difference in the situation for the buyer will be that they no longer have the SBA loan payment. So now they can use that entire cash flow, you know, debt service availability to then pay off the seller note, right? And so potentially it could be paid off very quickly. That scenario is safe for a buyer if there is no growth at all in the business, if the business just stays the same as the way it is, as it is today for 10 years, everything should work out just fine. Now, let's look at the new proposed scenario. Under the new rules, same you know, thing here, we've got 10% um, buyer cash, 10% seller note, and an 80% SBA loan. But under this scenario, the seller note is considered equity, even though payments start in month 25. And so what is the danger here? There's a potential to become over leveraged in this scenario. And this is all going to come down to how the lenders choose to apply the debt service coverage ratio rules. So if a lender chooses to only consider DSCR for the first two years, then they're going to agree to make a loan that will cash flow right now, but it may not, you know, the debt service coverage ratio may not be maintained in month 25. So what's the problem with this? The problem is that it creates a temptation to gamble on growth. You might say, I'm going to buy this business and I'm going to grow the top line revenue. And so in month 25, I will be more than able to make that seller note payment. But 
we don't all have working crystal balls. We don't exactly know what's going to happen in the future. So here's my issue with this particular change is there could be an opportunity to bake in an over leveraging that will only kick in after two years. Um, and I don't want to see anyone get into trouble where they, you know, are facing a decision like, do I cut my own pay because I now have to start making this seller note? You know, you may be able to negotiate around this danger by having uh, doing the same thing that uh, that banks do by putting covenants in the seller note. So you might be able to say that the payments will start in month 25 if these conditions have been met, for example. But, you know, in a competitive environment, if there's more than one buyer competing for the business, then the seller may be in a position where they get to pick and choose which buyer they're going to deal with. And obviously, the people that are going to be willing to gamble on a riskier deal are going to be the ones that are going to present, you know, what the seller may believe is the most attractive offer. I, I firmly believe that, uh, you know, for a seller to succeed and get all their money, they need a buyer that's going to be successful. And sometimes sellers don't understand that well enough. It's never really explained to them well enough that what they need is a buyer that's going to be successful. Bankers understand this. They know that the buyer's business has to be successful in order to collect all the money. Sellers sometimes push to get their money more quickly because they feel that getting the money sooner rather than later reduces their risk. When in fact, if you overburden the business with too many payments, you actually threaten the potential that you're going to be able to collect all the money. Um, changes to affiliation rules. So um, under this scenario, uh, basically buyers, if they're going to be a partial investor or partial buyer in the deal, they only need to disclose financials for businesses they own 50% or more of. This rule used to exist for buyers that had 20% or more of a business somewhere. So I, I spent some time thinking about this and I'm like, what is it that they're trying to do? What is it that they're getting at? What kind of scenario are they trying to address here? And then I, I realized what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to incentivize a class of small and medium-sized business minority investors. And I've had you know, questions on this channel before where people say, I want to have a portfolio of investments in a lot of different small and medium-sized businesses. Well, your ship has arrived. You know, With these rule changes, you'll be able to go and make a whole bunch of, of small investments in a bunch of different businesses. And as long as you don't own 50% or more of, of any one business, um, you won't have to disclose any of those other business activities in the SBA loan. So I put right there in the third bullet point, this will remove some hurdles for successful entrepreneurs who own a business to partner up with buyers who want to use SBA financing. Right. So what on earth could be the problem here? Well, this is another form of leverage increase. So in, in this case, what we're doing is we're increasing the opportunity and the availability potentially of equity leverage. So it means that it's going to be easier to convince people to come in on a buyer's deals as minority stakeholders in these acquisitions. So, you know, is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, I, you know, it, number one, it's going to make it easier for a buyer that really doesn't have any money to piece together the down payment by attracting other investors to come in and be minority investors. Um, and 
it doesn't really matter in my mind whether you're getting money from, um, well, it, I guess it does matter. You know, if you're getting money from debt and you put more debt on, then you have greater cash flow burden on the business. But if you are bringing in more equity, the equity may not necessarily have a cash flow burden. You don't have to make a distribution to equity holders if the business can't afford it. But at the moment of purchase, the more money that is available in the market to do acquisition, the more, the more you can pay, right? So, so what I put down there at the bottom is that this affiliation rule change is essentially going to be increasing the amount of equity leverage available to buyers. And the more leverage or sources of capital in any market leads to higher prices. If there's more people in the market with more money willing to pay that money to acquire the assets that are available, in this case, cash flowing businesses, then it's going to just drive up prices, right? And so, so this is what I say when I started at the beginning here. And I, and I said, you know, are all of these good or all of these bad? We're going to explain and talk about all these things. Um, you know, I, there, there's a more than one way in which these rules potentially could lead to higher prices for buyers. So let me, uh, let me advance the slide here. So we talked before about buying a portion of a business. I gave the example back when I talked about point number one about if you bought 80% of the stock of a business, how that would look. There's another way that you can keep a seller invested in a business. It's called an equity rollover. And it's a little bit different from what from buying 80% of the stock of an operating business. So what is an equity rollover? It's basically that as a buyer, you create an entity, you know, whether it's an LLC or an S Corp or you know, a C Corp if you want it, like whatever you create, in addition to when you make the offer to buy the seller's business, if you offer it as an asset purchase. In addition to money on closing day, you give them a percentage of the ownership of your own business, right? So again, see my video about asset versus share sales. We'll put the link in the in the description down below. But here I've, on the screen, I've got a traditional sort of financing solution with, again, 10% buyer cash, 10% seller note, and an 80% SBA loan. Under the rollover scenario, here is you know, a new solution. So I, I kept the proportions the same. So now instead of a buyer cash of 10%, we're talking about a buyer cash of 8% and a seller note of 8% and an SBA loan of 64%. Again, these are of the total asset purchase price. And then we're going to give the seller a stock in your business, 20% of the outstanding shares of your own business. So again, this all adds up to on 100% acquisition. But you can see it's formulated differently. Now, what's, what's the particular danger in this? Number one, because the new entity, the new corporation or new business that you have is buying the entire business of the seller in an asset purchase, 100% of that business's cash flow is available to the new business right? So the seller is now your partner in your business, but your business is now the owner of the selling business, the old business, okay? And I apologize if, if this gets complicated. Again, watch the asset versus share sale video. So this means 
that if the normal debt service coverage ratio rules apply, then it means that my new business can afford to pay the same level of loan or the same level of borrowing that I would have been able to before if I was just buying the business on my own without giving the seller any of my stock. So think, think about this, right? It means that under both of these purchase scenarios, under you know this first scenario, let's say the business can afford to make a payment of $5,000 a month. Under this second scenario, because the cash flow is the same, maybe I can still afford to make a debt service payment of $5,000 a month. Except under the second scenario, I'm not the complete owner of my business. I only own 80% of it. The seller now owns 20%. So, so what effectively has happened here, right? What effectively happens is that you're only buying 80% of the business, not 100% of the business, but you're paying the same amount. You're borrowing the same amount of money. So this is an immediate price inflation of the value of the small, medium, small or medium-sized business by 25% right? Because what would have bought 100% of the business before now only buys 80% of the business. And yes, it's a 25% increase because to get from 80 up to 100, you have to add another quarter of 80 to get to 100. That's 25% of 80. So again, markup versus margin kind of thinking applies. So again, like huge potential here for inflation of prices, transaction values. So I hate to be a doom tuber. I, and I know people complain to, about, you know, David, why aren't you more optimistic? David, why don't you bring more good news, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I, I just don't want to see people stumble into these traps. Um, so what's on the screen right now? Number one, any and all attempts to bring more money or leverage into a market will result in increased prices. I, I think we should know that, right? Uh, think of the ninja mortgage loans of the great financial that led up to the great financial crisis, uh, great recession or what have you. Um, easier and easier money to weaker and weaker buyers led to higher and higher home prices, which eventually led to a big explosion in, in that market. Um, I've said it before on this YouTube channel. There was a video I made back in 2019 about is 90% financing a good idea. Uh, I'll put a link to that one too. And I'll, I've said in that video, and I'll repeat it here. The SBA does not help people buy businesses. The SBA helps people sell them, right? Just imagine car dealers and if there were no car loans. Imagine that. If there was no such thing as a car loan, what kind of cars would be available for sale? There would be a huge variety and, and a huge number of different options available for cars up to $20,000 because people could conceivably save up $20,000 to buy a car. But because there are car loans, now you can sell cars based on the monthly payment. And so this is why the average car price is north of $40,000, right? Because car loans help the manufacturers and the dealers sell more cars to more people because more people can afford that payment. What's happening here with a lot of these changes to the SBA rules is that you are now going to be able to buy 
a smaller proportion of the business you used to want to buy for the same payment. It's it's effectively going to inflate the the price people can afford to pay based on the cash flows that are available in the business. So I will repeat, as I repeat all the time, now more than ever, you need to make sure you buy in a risk-controlled way. If the deal doesn't work for you as a buyer, don't do it. And for heaven's sake, listen here. For heaven's sake, do not confuse return on investment with return on equity. Because a lot of these tools, if you confuse those two things, and, and, and I've made videos about it. I'll put a link up here. Lies about ROI, I think is the name of the video. I'll put the link in the notes. If you confuse ROE with ROI, some of these things may trick you into thinking that you're getting an even higher rate of return because you're adding additional leverage to your deal. It's not what's happening. And what I see from people who confuse return on equity with return on investment is they will get involved in deals thinking they're earning a great rate of return on their money, when in reality, they're investing in the world's riskiest asset class and getting a rate of return less than the current T-bill rate. It happens all the time. Do not put yourself in jeopardy like that. Small businesses are risky. If you're going to do one of these deals, it has to be to improve your life. It has to be to increase your freedom, increase your opportunity, increase your level of wealth with a reasonable amount of risk. Buying a business is much wiser than starting one, but if you don't buy in the correct fashion, you can put yourself into just as much hot water, okay? And so that's why I, you know, I've been telling people and this is why I teach all the stuff that you can find over at businessbuyeradvantage.com. So if you haven't already, go over there, sign up for the course, I don't know, there's 14 or 15 hours of content there now. I just added three more modules here in 2023. Um, all the tools you need are there to greater, better understand how you do these deals. The whole There's a case study you follow from A to Z, and then there's all these add-on modules I've added in the years since. Um, and then if you really want extra help, um, then you should be looking at my coaching program, which is over at businessbuyeradventure.com where you can get together with like-minded people. We meet several times every month. Um, and you can go back and listen now for five years of all the different conversations about all the deals that have been happening. And you can learn from other people as they go through these deals. And you can listen step-by-step step of how things really go down. Anyway, thank you very much. I know it's been a long video. I hope that um, you know more details will come out. Again, uh, they've said that these rules can be further refined between now and August when they're going to come into force. Um, and so let's be on the lookout for new rules, new changes. If there's something in the information that I received that I've misinterpreted, just please put it down in the comments down below um, uh, because it'll be helpful for me to make a follow-up video on this and also be helpful for other people that might find this video in the future to be able to go down and see if there's potentially some errors or, or mistakes in the information that I've presented. And with that, we'll say see you later. I'm going to, we'll say goodbye with a message from uh, this week's video sponsor. And uh, if you haven't already, sign up for my email list. Um, uh, there's a, a I'll, I'll show you in just a minute how you can sign up for that. 
Special thanks go to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and have gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos.